Good day. I am the actor Java Edge and I play the character of Christopher Flynn on this podcast, Urbane Legends. The Gorbals Vampire has been split into two parts as it ran quite long. This is the first part. I will be back again at the end of this podcast to wish you adieu. Welcome to Urbane Legends, the podcast about urban legends and how to act in a courteous and refined manner, but much less about that. Here's your hosts, Neil and Chris. Hello and welcome to Urbane Legends, the podcast about urban legends, but almost entirely about etiquette. I am direct blood descendant of the Sumerian Anunnaki, Chris Flynn. And with me once again is the man of arms for Uri Geller's new outlaw motorcycle gang, the Bent Forks, coming out, coming straight out of Red Hill. It is... I mean, Neil Herbert. Hi, Neil. How's your week been? Um, mentally taxing, just, you know... That dealing with Yuri Geller? Focusing on that psychic energy on, on cutlery to make it bend. So how did you get involved in that? I know you and Yuri go back a, a while, but I didn't know that he was he was into motorbikes and uh, outlawing. Yeah, no, he's yeah, he's um I think you know, he's, he's you know there's a lot of um there's a lot of outlaw gangs yeah. crawling around Brighton. Um sorry. You know, it's very much like Sons of Anarchy in the UK. Yeah. All, all that, that Irish one that they did. <laughs> or the Mayans, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he's, he's a he's a he's a he's a massive um, massive fan. He's uh, something about it. Heart like thirty years ago, I believe <laughs> they call it. Yeah, he's a he's a man of mayhem. We know what that means, but we won't get into it. Oh yeah, you know, don't, don't want any legal trouble. Oh, you know, and I'm not the grass, obviously. You know, yeah. So now I'm, I'm um, but now I'm trying out. I want to um, be an affiliate member for the uh, for the gang. So. Uh, yeah, he's just got me, you know, going around buying him space raiders and stuff. Just oh, like, see, like I, at the moment. see, I heard you were the man at arms for them, but you're just a prospect. Is he's that a prospect at the moment? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, no, no, I'm looking. I'm looking to. He, he thinks potentially I've got got what it takes to become, you know, man at arms. Yeah, man at arms. You know, right, right hand guy. But uh, yeah, yeah. The, well, like everyone, you know, I mean, obviously they see me for what I can be, but uh, you, you've got to work your way up. That's that's the beauty of it. It's a meritocracy. Yeah, you got everyone. Got to take your licks. Yeah, you, you work your way up as a prospect first. No, no, it doesn't matter who you are. You don't, you know. Yeah. Are you um? Start, start are, you, the are you still um? Are you still cruising around on that one two five? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about grading to a Vespa because uh, you've only got your you've only got your license up to one two five. Well, exactly. You? Yeah, and I don't want to you know I don't want to break the law. Geller would be be furious if he did that. Yeah, need to have no time for that. No, just get a lot of heat down on the gang. Don't 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 need that with the kind of activities that we're into. Obviously, I can't talk about that that side of the club. Smuggling moody fags from. um... Can't talk about it. Can't talk about it. No, you're not. You're not in the. You're not in the gang, Chris. I'm not in the gang. No, no. um, uh, I once tried to get into a motorcycle gang. But because of my problems with authority, it was electric electric bicycle wasn't it really? Well, it was a, I mean, it was a tricycle. One of those ones with a dynamo, you sort of pedal it, and uh, yeah, and it makes the light go a bit on. Easier on the uphill. <laughs> it wasn't really, wasn't really in the spirit of the thing. Yeah, but I have really massive uh, pallions on the sides, <laughs> which actually um, counteracted the power of the fairly weak sixteen volt battery engine. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I I, I, I gained nothing. Enough. But it, well, it did it. <laughs> I don't think oh, it did. No, no. Everyone assumed that I was working for Deliveroo or something, despite the fact that um, I had a string vest on and um, obviously a leather leather waistcoat with a big picture of Mickey Mouse on the back because I, I bought it from uh, Euro Disney. <laughs> for some reason, yeah. some reason I couldn't get it. Okay. The, the brief dalliance with the motorcycle culture. Yeah, it was just after the Mighty Ducks or something. They then went into motorcycle. That, there's culture. no, there's no pie that the mouse house doesn't have a finger in. <laughs> oh well, um, well, I wish you luck. Um, will you, will you keep us updated? Like, well, you know, what you can. 
I'll, I'll let you know. I'll let you know what I can. And undoubtedly, in future podcasts, we'll definitely come back to this. Good. Um, and it, is uh, are the Bent Forks, uh, Yuri's gang's main rivals still the Gardner Monty Don's gang, the Pitchforks? No, no, it's it's Randy Skeptics. Randy... Chat and shit about how his psychic powers aren't Monty uh... Don and the Randy Skeptics. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, because they've been around. James Randy. You heard of this guy? James Randy, no. He's chatting shit. He's so he's, he's he's he tries to what he calls debunk all of these like false false kind of like a psychic allegedly false. Yeah. Well, we all mm. know we all know Yuri Geller. You, look, we've seen this spoon bending trick. I know. Can you explain that, James Randy? Exactly. Do you think Michael Jackson's going to hang around with someone who's lying? I wouldn't have thought so. Um, good. All right. Well, yeah. Keep us up to date. Um, I've been, as you know, I've been on a health kick, Neil. Um, and I've gone on one of these Hollywood fad diets. Oh, nice. It's called uh, it's uh, called the Jack Klugman diet. Um, do you remember oh, Jack? That, that's uh, Jack Klugman. That was the guy, he was on one of those detective shows. Hey, Quincy. Coroner. Quincy, Quincy, that's the one. Yeah. So what Thank I do you. is for breakfast, I have eight eggs. Eight eggs. <laughs> no, fortunately, no whiskey. I have eight eggs, a cigar... And two litres of ginger beer. And then... He was, he was a bit of a ladies' man, wasn't he, Quincy? Yeah, he was. Unfortunately, well, you know, with his physique, based on this diet, you know, the, yeah. lady, the ladies couldn't get enough, really. Yeah. Ah, got me a lady. Got me a bar. Uh, and then I have the same for lunch. And then I have the same for dinner, but with a handful of laxatives. And uh, oh. I've lost two pounds. So it's... It's going all right. protein as well, so... Lots you know. of protein, yeah. Um, I, 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 can, much, but... <laughs> I can feel the power surging through me. Some vitamins and minerals would be good as well, but, you know, no. results speak for themselves. No, hollow, the hollow minerals, that's what he calls them. Don't have no hollow minerals. Have a cigar! Um, yeah, so that's been going well. Um, so, should we get on to some etiquette, Neil? Uh, I've, mm-hmm. um, I, I know that you're a man of the world... Um, and by that, I mean you've visited places, not experienced things. I like to go to foreign countries and then lock myself in the hotel room. And what, you know, horses, horses on your laptop? Yeah. <laughs> just, just to show that, yeah, I can go there, but, you know, there's nothing to learn or do just... for me. Uh, right, so I've got a couple of tips here for in-flight etiquette. And we all know that people are cunts on planes so you know hopefully this will you're gonna put a sick bag in the front of your seat they're asking you to use it chris that's what i say right you don't, don't want vomit then don't give me a sick bag so here's one which no one follows be kind before you recline flights are getting diverted because of rude reclining stay upright if the person behind you is tall i.e you or me or pregnant i.e me Bonus points if you ask before you recline. Nine out of ten times they'll say yes. One out of ten times you may suffer the wrath of a drink thrown in your face. I've never seen that happen on a flight. I don't. I think that would be very rude if somebody asked you if they could recline. Throw your drink in their face. I've, I've wanted to do that when somebody the instant the the, the flight yeah, stops banging your legs. Yeah, yeah, it's a nightmare. I kind of nowadays I pretty much cough up the extra for the extra legroom seat. If at all possible, because I'm, you know, I'm six four. So yeah, quite often they try and I, I don't know if you ever get this, but some of them fly fly that often, but quite often they um they try and find you an R seat as well, don't they? Or what's the one where you get oh. the extra? No, they don't. Well, they a couple of times, but have said, oh, you're because cool. I'm always a bit suspicious, and they're like, oh, do you want extra leg room? And I'm like, what's that going to cost? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's... I've never had that. I've always okay. had to pay. Um, maybe it's because you're more adorable than I am. Could be. I look, yeah, I look, um, I look like I'm ready for war at all times. <laughs> uh, so this one made me laugh because um, I don't know who's written these. So bathroom wars. Don't climb over your roommates to get out of the aisle. Who does that? <laughs> Let them know you need. This is the thing. I'm sure. I'm sure people don't. I'm sure, they I'm sure do. all of this has happened. The I don't know people who do that. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be reading about etiquette, so it's not really. You, know, you kind of hear horror stories about 
um, internal flights in the USA. So maybe it's kind of aimed at that. We kind of, I don't know, in Europe, we tend not to do these, like just clamber over people and stuff. But I don't know, maybe. Maybe I've just been lucky in the... For the European, I think the worst for me is just like a bunch of drunk people have just been hitting it all in the airport and Mm. then they start to sing some or something. Yeah, again, it's only happened, I don't, I can't remember that happening to me. Particularly, no, no, not not too often, but yeah, as you say, and I'm fairly well travelled, like yourself. Um, so don't clamber over them. Let them know you need to use the restroom, and suggest your whole row uses the lavatory to save stand-up sit-down time. Dance. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Obviously, you asked. Oh, excuse me, I need. To yeah, sorry, I need to use the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, go, oh, hey guys, how about we all go up and then and then we don't have to do this again so soon? <laughs> yeah. Let's make it a game. <laughs> yeah. I'll Obviously time how quickly you can go to the bathroom and then the okay. next person tries to beat that time. Go on, go, go, go. Go, 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 go. That's, that's ridiculous. I mean, unless you've all sort of been... Unless like, you're mates or something. Yeah. But even but then... Yeah, you've all been out and you've all sort of... Oh, well, why don't we do... No, that's that, strangers as well. But, well. I think the big thing for... I assume flights, that people would go... Like, I would assume that, like, like three, the three strangers in the aisle were going up for a really uncomfortable threesome if I saw that happening. Like, yeah, oh, no, this, exactly. flight's, I mean, this, just, this flight's boring. Let's all go up to the toilet together. Wink. With flights, especially if they're reasonably shortish ones, then, you know, just... You, people just, just don't... Don't be interacting, really. Nobody wants it. No. If it's like a 20-hour flight or something, something to Australia or something like that, fair enough, you might, you know, oh, you know, do you fancy it? You know, you just ask and say, you know, no offence, but, you you know, you fancy, might... Fancy, fancy a quick, quick rummage in the toilets. <laughs> I'm going to go and get a blanket from the stewardess now. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> if you're not interested, please say so, but... But I'm going to... <laughs> but silence is complicity. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you're asleep. But um, no, the, the nearest to that kind of thing I can think of actually was, and it's a sort of different situation where I did threaten to clamber over somebody. So I was getting a train up to Birmingham, I think it was. Right. And I'd had a reserve ticket um, and sort of went up to, and this, this carriage was all full. Mm-hmm. And there's, so there's, but there's just, there's a lady sitting there with a daughter on the outside of these seats. Yeah. And she's taking up my reserve seat. She says, oh, this reserve for, for, for me and my daughter. And I thought, oh, I think she must have extra people or something like that. Oh, okay, but I've got reserved ticket. She's going, well, it's not showing on the signs. Well, the sign's broken, but look, you can see on my ticket. Oh, well, that, so at first I was just a bit sort of, well, okay. So I walk up down the carriage. Go on, go on, English about it. I came it, back you? and said, sorry, it's just you and your daughter sitting here and there's four seats, yeah? Well, yes, because, you know, she might need to go to the toilet. I said, well, that's fine, then I'll sit in, in there. Yeah. So, well... Oh, no. And I said, well, look, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to put my bag up here. I can climb over you into that seat there, or you can move and you can come out. And go, Either way, I'm going to be sitting there, so you, you figure out how you want that to Yeah, happen. and I'll be honest with you, and I'll she... kill your daughter if I climb her across. Yeah, just really, really, basically she decided, because her and her, her kid were there, that they and hadn't booked a ticket, but that, that they deserved the whole table to themselves. Oh, right, they had and the whole table. Home, and eventually they, she wandered off. And went to another carriage, but what a prick! Well, it's that I kind of everything I see, and I was like, I was if if it had been half empty, and it's like, well, I'll oh, yeah, just go somewhere else. else. Yeah, of course, yeah, I'll go and sit somewhere else. It's not a problem. But it was completely full. I don't know where she went. Anyway, I don't care, frankly. But yeah. there's that point where someone's just being outright rude, and at first you think, oh, I must have misread something here, and then I sort of like, yeah, because you don't myself. believe that people are that entitled, so you think no, that no, you exactly. must have made a mistake. <laughs> No, exactly. But then I was like, oh, no, okay, I see what the situation is. So it's like, well, okay. It's, it's like whenever, you know, people say, oh, well, somebody's put a bag down on the seat next to them and it's like the, the bus is full or a coach is full. And what do I do? I'll tell you what I do. Pick the bag up and say, well, I'll, I'll say to them, I'm going to be sitting there. So you want to pick the bag up and shove it on your lap or do you, you know. Or do you want to, you want to deal with it? it? On the lap if they pretend to ignore me. Yeah, no. Because if someone's going to be that outright rude, do you know what I mean? I, yeah. Yeah, fine. I'll be rude back. I don't care. I'm not your friend. I don't give a shit what you think of me. Clearly. If you're being rude there, it's like, you know, a full coach and you've decided that you, you need these two seats. Of course, we'd all love to have. Yeah, I don't want to sit next to strangers particularly. But um, no, at the end does. of the day, you know, we're all, we're, all, get to just, we're all in society know. together and we're trying to rub along. And, you know, I don't see that my slight mild uncomfort sitting next to someone should be that someone should stand up for two hours. On a, moving, exactly. on a moving vehicle, dangerously. You're a coach or something. You can't, it's not like you can, if it's a bus, yeah, whatever, but 
you can't exactly stand in the aisle on a coach, can you? So it's like, well, no, there are no other seats. Your bag cannot have a seat, sorry. I mean, you don't want to sit next to anyone, but maybe don't book a coach next time. There you go. Yeah, walk. Car, car. <laughs> we'll find that's more convenient. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so well, that's it, isn't it? That's you... only less and less, less and more of a rant about my... Um... Yes, well, that, I certainly touched a nerve there. So um, I'm glad that people got to see the other side of the affable uh, teddy bear that is Neil Herbert. Um, when he's when he's not on air, which yeah, is a ranting, say, you know, ranting just, madman. You know, that whole thing where somebody's you know just trying to be really really just you know. Yeah, and that takes that takes courage. Then because I, you get kind of more used to it as you get older. But I don't like confrontation, and so I think that people make the they bargain on the fact that people, especially British people, don't like confrontation and don't like making a scene and that kind of stuff. But um, I think I've become less and less bothered about, about, you know, you know, what some stranger thinks of me, I, you know, they don't seem like the kind of person that I'd want to be friends with anyway, if they're no, that selfish. You know, I, I, I'm really not a fan of confrontation at all either, but it's, I think, I think part of that, obviously what it stems from is more of a, not wanting to inadvertently offend somebody and being yeah. wrong myself. Whereas if somebody is being outright, just unreasonable or rude, you know, yeah. notwithstanding, yeah, obviously, you know, it could be a situation where somebody has some, you know, I don't know, some difficulties in some way or whatever, and then, you know, you have to be careful about that. But, but if, you know, it's just, just somebody who's, who you're pretty sure is just being outright rude and un- unsociable, well, guess what? I don't really care what you think anymore because, um, you know, and then I'm, I'm, I'm less worried about that. I'm not, again, I'm not going to try and start an argument about it. I don't want to have, you know, if somebody really started screaming their head off or something, I probably would get pretty uncomfortable. But um, you just scream yeah, louder. Normally, if you just put, you know, you respond back to that because you say, yeah, they're, not, they're just expecting you to go away and just be diffident, which is what a lot of British people would do. But, uh, yeah, it's weird, yeah. isn't it? And there is that kind of thing that some parents have where they they mistakenly think that their child's the most important thing in the universe and everyone else thinks the same or should them. think the same. Yeah, well, it is yeah. to them. But, you know, at the end of the day, every single person here was a child once, do you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, good. I'm glad we've put that to rights. Um, so, uh, this episode, we are going to be looking at a, uh, urban legend from north of the border in the Principality of Scotland. It's a very beautiful place. It's a very complicated place. Um, you've, you've angered our Scottish listeners there, Chris. I know. Principality, it's a, it's a fine country in its own right and part of the union. Yeah, I know. I know I did, but we don't and have any Scottish listeners, so... Whatever. They know that I'm only joking. I've got, I know, I'm Scottish by descent to a certain part. Um, so it's the Gorbals Vampire. Did mm. a 1950s Nusferatu prowl Glasgow's southern necropolis. So the Gorbals, just to give you some background, is an area in Glasgow. It's near, it's near the River Clyde. Um, it was kind of tenements, a very poor area, sort mm-hmm. of those, yeah. um, the streets where the back of the houses would have a little tiny yard and then an alleyway in the middle and then another tiny yard and then the back of another house and sort of rows of housing like that. Um, it was essentially... It's Coronation Street, if you want to see an image of this. Yeah, but smaller. Kind of, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But that kind, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, yeah. It, it was very much... Uh, very much like a, like a lot of this isn't a Glasgow thing. Like a lot of uh, inner city UK towns, sort of pre-war, it was very much kind of a slum with twenty people mm-hmm. to a bedroom, that kind of business. Um, which uh, and we, we had them all over the country. Um, in there's plenty in Brighton as well, which were pulled down. But the Gorbals is still there, and by all accounts, it's very nice now. And it's become kind of a cultural centre, a lot of arts and that kind of stuff. That it's been a bit gentrified. Um, yeah, I think Glasgow become European city of culture at some point. I suppose you recall that happening. Yeah, yeah. I've seen did an episode on that. That's that's honestly my um, one of my touch points for Glasgow culture is Rabsin. That's bit awesome. <laughs> Probably not ideal. <laughs> I don't think it's representative. No, I don't get no, me but it's a... He's a philosopher. He's a drunken philosopher. He is. Um, no, Gregory Fisher, obviously, is a you know, he's quite a posh chap. He's very posh. Um, but it's a very, um, 
yeah, there's a there's a lot. I'd like to go to Glasgow. I mean, there there is an underlying threat of violence there most of the time, and um, it, they're quite hard people. But it's also very there's lots of very um, beautiful buildings, and the Southern Acropolis is really lovely. If you ever get a chance to have a look at that on Google or whatever, it's really nice. Like you don't kind of don't expect it there. It's like something in Greece or something like that. So. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that's a bit of background on the Gorbals. So, I think the people would be a laugh as well. Huh? I think the people would be a laugh as well. I've met a few Glaswegians over the years. Yeah, so have I, and I've always, I always get on very well with them. But I think you're running a risk having an English accent in Glasgow, I think, because there is still that... You don't want to end up on the wrong side of the um, Celtic Rangers thing as well. Make yeah, sections <laughs> Obviously, our Celtic fan, would, I would be better. Same. Um... But, yeah, so I think you just have to be a bit wary um, because, well, like like in any town, like it is for any person who's not from that area and the people inherently hate you, then you've got to be a bit, <laughs> you've got to be a bit careful. And I'm sure plenty of people um, who are not British feel that in British cities all the, all the time. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. Not necessarily some fairly despicable acts during uh, yeah. the recent uh, World Cup. Not necessarily. We're fortunate. Euros, I should say. Sorry, not we're necessary. fortunate. Not hugely in the city we live in, but you know we do pay an absolute premium to live here. So, um, right. So, I'm reading this from David So, shout out to him, uh, and it's a blog. And so, here we go. On the evening of the 23rd of September 1954, so it's quite recent, Glasgow police received a call summoning them to the Southern Necropolis, a vast cemetery in the Gorbals, one of the city's poorest neighbourhoods. When PC Alex uh, Deep Rose arrived a few minutes later, he couldn't believe the sight that confronted him. Hundreds of children were swarming over the graveyard, some clutching crosses and crucifixes, others brandishing axes, staves and knives. The oldest kids are around 14, the youngest barely even toddle. Shouldn't well, so far, it just sounds like a, a good night out in the <laughs> government something. <laughs> in the Gorbals. Yeah. Uh, so, PC Deep Rose watched in amazement as the children searched among the gravestones, peering behind trees and prowled along elaborate Victorian tombs. The scene was made even more apocalyptic by the steelworks at the end of the cemetery, which was throwing up flames, belching smoke, and sending the scent of sulphur across the necropolis. Blasts of flames cast strange shadows. Dark figures moved in and out of the clouds of rolling fog. There he is, the children would shout as they rushed off to confront some silhouette. No, he's there, a cry would go up as the fire illuminated another sinister outline. PC Deep Pros managed to constantly conquer his astonishment and ask the group of children what they were doing. The kids replied, they're hunting... They're the... playing Hunt the Taxman. <laughs> hunt the Taxman. <laughs> they were hunting the Gorbals vampire, a seven-foot-tall monster with long metal fangs. They claimed the vampire had captured and eaten two boys and was living in the graveyard. More police arrived, but they couldn't persuade the children to give up their quest. Only when it started to rain... <laughs> not... You're not you're not that bothered about no, it. Then. Not fully committed. It's like oh, it's flipping it, mind you. I mean, that, I was going to say the, the description there that does sound like something out of a Dickensian novel. Yeah, a little fog and um, sulphur and whatnot. I mean, yeah. The, well, there was the Clyde. Was... The Clyde was a huge shipbuilding industry, mm. wasn't there? There was, um, you know, like Billy Connolly is always talking about his time yeah, yeah. when he. Uh, you know, when he was a dock worker for four months and then lived off it for the rest of his comedy career. <laughs> but yeah, they worked at yeah shipyards and everything there. So it was um, it was a big hub for shipbuilding in the UK before that all got shut down for reasons. So it was only when it started to rain and a local headmaster told everyone to stop being ridiculous did the children disperse. The next night, however, the young vampire hunters were back. And the night after that, though in smaller numbers, the children's interest in the monsters uh, waned, and the Gorbals vampire to cause disquiet among adults. So at the moment, it just sounds like a, a kid's rumor mucking about. Yeah, it, it does. So, how are we describing the Gorbals vampire? Then, so it was like seven foot tall, metal teeth. 
Don't put Tormat Teeth. It sounds like Richard Keel from those Bond movies. Yeah, Jules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. I, don't, I think he would have been quite young in 54. I don't know when he was born. And I don't know if he actually had metal teeth in real life. Probably and, not. And I don't, I'm not sure he was from Glasgow, but I don't know. All stuff to look into. Yeah. Never visit. You don't know. Can't rule it out. It's a theory. It might not, might not have the evidence yet. But... Yeah, the um, records of his birth mysteriously disappeared from what I've heard. And I'm saying birth with uh, air inverted commas. Exactly, yeah. So parents earnestly asked the police if there was any truth in the legend. The story got international press. Questions were asked at Parliament. <laughs> and a major moral panic saw changes in the law. <laughs> Vampires outlawed. I said, all right. <laughs> um, but what was the goal? There's just like three Tories are like, well, I think we should still be allowed to eat children. <laughs> Technically, that's it, 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 it literally just got bounced out of the House of Lords like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just did that thing when they were huddled together and just like some ob- some obscure bit of parliamentary, like, you know, manoeuvring. Theatre. <laughs> um, but what was the Gorbals vampire? Who was to blame for the monster's appearance in the southern necropolis? And what were the consequences of the creature's crimes? So what are your thoughts so far? Before we delve oh, deeper. Think, well, it sounds to me like, I remember, um, you'll, you'll get one or two kids to start a rumour, and they said, there's yeah. nothing much to do. You're very clear. I remember... Well, it's a fifth, and none of them would have had TVs. No, exactly. Well, it's... Well, Radios would have had Cliff Richard on, or Dame Vera Lynn. in the day, you know, for those of us old enough to remember a time before the internet and all that, and everything was sort of always wired on, and yeah. when we had four channels, yeah. and there was nothing to do, and it was, yeah, I mean, just stuff was boring. So, you know, there was there was very very little to entertain you. See, so you, you were kids, and you go and find go and make your own fun, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, no, I remember, you know, like, like, similar thing to sort of something like that was when there was, was going to be some big fight after school. Yeah, we've talked about those really before. Popular. So literally about kind of like 60 of us went down the park to watch this. The, it was not Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, I'll be honest with you. Bit pushing, was it a yeah. bit of pushing and shoving, as Roy King would say? It was a bit of pushing and shoving and a bit of just, you know... A bit of pushing and shoving. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then, and then sort of the teacher came out of a bush and... Gave us all detention or something. They'd actually cracked us down because he the so teacher who who was coincidentally already in that bush. You could imagine. Oh, here we go. He um, <laughs> just tend to attract that sort of attention. I'm not in no way, shape, or form. I think it was true, but uh, yeah. well, I mean, the thing is, I because I was an only child, um, and t- TV and stuff was quite boring when you were a kid, but. I never really was very bored. Like I'd always like play with my toys or be drawing or do, or like making stuff out of boxes. Um, so I don't know. Like I, I do kind of, and I think kind of, we all kind of had to do that. You kind of have to entertain yourself to an extent or we, oh, people, yeah. of a, people of a certain vintage. I mean, I'm 38 so it's not exactly vintage, but, um, but I kind of, I don't know, like the, whether kids will lose some of that creativity because they've constantly got entertainment now, or whether their creativity will be bolstered because they have more, possibly more affordable outlets for it. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. It's become more performative, I think, rather than like crafty. Certainly not crafty. You know what I mean? Like making making things out. Of... So, but no, I think, you know, the availability of tools, I think you're sort of seeing quite a lot of, um, you know, you can publish stuff on TikTok or YouTube. Or whatever yeah, I know, but that's, I mean, most of that is just people, like, doing a dance or something. Like, none of it's kind of, oh, that's interesting. You've thought of something new. It's people mimicking other people doing stuff, which... Well, you, can, you know, you can have legends like Dapper Laughs. Did you ever hear of that guy? I did hear of him. He was very much cancelled, wasn't he? <laughs> Well, he was for about five seconds, and then he was contrite, and then when that didn't pay the bills, he just went straight back into it, and I think he's probably now doing Essex working man's gloves. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, real devil laughs unleashed. But it's interesting to know where it's... But then I get... Yeah. It's interesting to know where it's going to go. It'll be, be culturally interesting to see what is... What kind of comes out in music and... TV and comedy and stuff over the next 20 years because mm. I don't have high hopes, unfortunately, but we'll see. 
we'll see what happens. Yeah, but I think you know, there's as well. I, I suppose there's to a certain extent there's um, probably more pressing things for people to worry about these days with things like climate change and stuff like that. You know. Yeah, that's true. But then I don't think that it's one or the other. No, no, that's true. Yeah. You know, um, what I would hope is that people put more effort into doing things that bring joy to the world, like art and music and that kind of stuff, and also are conscious about climate change rather than wanting to have a big SUV and spending their lives Mm. doing a job that they don't necessarily enjoy so that they can get what they think they're expected to have as status symbols. I would hope, because I'd say that... I'd say people of... Would you say we're the same generation? Probably. Um, well, I think slightly. I, I'm actually tailing the Gen X. I think you're millennial, technically. Yeah. But I don't I don't particularly believe in... I mean, demographics are there for a reason, obviously. Not demographics. Yeah. But those kind but of sim- so demographic generalisations. Yeah, I'd say that people of my generation, or kind of people around my age, so around 40, I guess, I'd say that it's kind of a bit 50-50, like some mm. people... So rather than it being of the generation above, like about 10% of people gave a shit about climate change and doing anything yeah. interesting, I'd say it's probably about 50-50 in my people of our age. And then I think it it gets increasingly more as you go down. So people in their 20s are really hot on it. And people who yeah, are absolutely. 15 are like all of them care, or most of them. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, think, I think there has been historically to an extent as well. I mentioned remember things like the greenhouse effect, and um, you know, but but obviously there was an easier solution there. So banning CFCs was a, a viable. Whereas I, I think the problem is is that you know getting people to give up. I mean, I think what's what's I mean, sort of getting on really off piece here, but I think one of the things is just amazing how some fairly obvious things have just become politicised. I was having a chat with someone the other day about this, but like you know, wearing a face mask has suddenly become like a political statement for some people. It's yeah, it's weird. weird. Yeah, QAnons. <laughs> oh, good Lord. It's not, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think we we all do our bit as much as we can. Um, unfortunately, even if all of us do our bit, it's a complete drop in the ocean compared to what corporations and and that are doing. They're doing the huge harm. I remember there was um there was a thing that the BBC did about ten years ago, which was they wanted to do an experiment about weather prediction about climate change. And you could download something and put it on your PC. And when you weren't using your PC, you just leave it on and this would run in the background and make calculations. And then they would um, consolidate all that data and see what the kind of prediction is because Mm -hmm. they'd they'd have so many data sets. And people were going, I remember someone going, you know, isn't this going to might be really bad for the environment in itself. And they said, to be honest, if everyone in this country left their PC on, like, for 20, like, for the next three weeks, it would still use less energy than a supercomputer uses in one minute. So, no, you've, you know, it's fine. So, I mean, that's the thing. The, the, I think that's one thing which is quite difficult to get, to get, yeah, get on board, not get on board, but get your head around with climate change is the fact that, even if you do everything right, like it's such a tiny. Even if every, even if everyone does everything right, really, it's such. It's a tiny, tiny fraction of the oh, yeah, pollution that's caused. I think it's you know people putting pressure to bear on companies that they expect to see more. Um, you know, yeah, but unfortunately, the politicians don't listen to companies. Don't well, listen to don't, people, do com- they? Suddenly enough, I think companies do start to take the lead a bit on this because you, you, you're seeing a bit of that now. Whereas. I mean, they call it greenwashing some of it, obviously, but, you know, how much are they actually truly doing? But um, I don't know. There's, there's, I think basically once they see that there's a profit to be made by, mm. you know, by going, you know, once they see people, consumers wanted to see that, unfortunately, because we live within a capitalist system, you've got to change it with the tools within. Yeah, but, they um, follow the market. Yeah, then then suddenly, you know, there's a viable market, then they want to, they want to, you know, so and and that's when things become scalable and more achievable as well. It's kind of like, well, actually, if everyone's buying electric cars, then, I mean, I don't actually own a car, so no, I mean, either, but, you know, because I'm basically, basically a saint. <laughs> not just because I don't, I don't need to use one where I live. Yeah, same. But um, you know, if I was out in the country or something, it'd be a different story. But uh, yeah, it's um, 
But yeah, you take so I, I, you know. But yeah, the problem is, I, I, I think things definitely will change as those kind of things go across. The the, the real issue is, is, is it going to you know yeah, slow when it that. changes and whether it's going to be too far too late, which is the terrifying thing. But uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, mean, I think just my, my general point was that, you know, I'm, I'm always quite wary of just kind of like, there always seems to be this thing where it's like, oh, the latest generation are all useless and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. One of the few things I got out of um, RE lessons at school was from someone reading some some uh, quote, and I think it was from, it was basically from a, um, from a, you know, like from ancient Rome, effectively, mm-hmm. but it's basically like, oh, this generation, the worst ever, blah, blah, blah. They're all, you know, it's just, it's, these complaints are literally like go back. Yeah, people complain years. about younger people. Right? Yeah. A story as old as time. Getting older and our bones hurt. And um, so, yeah. Well, I mean, you forget how crazy. shit you were when you were that age. Yeah, yeah, and also, true. if they're doing anything which, to be honest, puts you to shame, i.e., what young people are doing about climate change exactly. compared to people who, you know, from baby boomers and that kind of stuff considering well, how generation could have done more as well Chris, to be honest with you but, yep. yeah considering how socially conscious they are and all that kind of stuff basically it puts them to shame so they mm. uh react like anyone does when they're being criticized by lashing out <laughs> um I'm reflecting on what you do better absolutely so the global vampire certainly seemed to reel the children certainly well, se- talking about climate change <laughs> Uh, and I jumped into the wrong point there, anyway. Uh, so parents earnestly, are, are we've done that, uh, Parliament changing law. What's this changing What's this changing law, then? I think it's something to do with... Didn't they blame it on American comic books or something like this? Probably. Probably. That's kind of the, the um, GTA of its time, wasn't it? So I don't know when it came out, but it, the whole thing sounds to me like a, a kind of, like, mediocre episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> Yes, another media. Foggy, you know, I can just imagine this all on some soundstage at Shepparton. Yeah, dry ice. Yeah, yeah. Dry um, ice. Six kids representing, you know, and they're just a load of sounds off stage. Well, so, oh, there are hundreds of children. <laughs> <laughs> I can only see five, but fair enough. Use your imagination. So, Neil, how I'm real... Covered in bubble wrap. How real was the Gorbals Empire? The Global Vampire. I mean, it sounds on the up and up. Yeah, hundred percent real. It, it, yeah, hundred Glaswegian. They've got an interview with him a bit further down. <laughs> yeah. The Global Vampire. You know, it's either a load of bored kids just going off to do something, or and oh, that can't be right. No, that doesn't sound so, right. It, it, playing playing a game that gets a bit out of hand. So he certainly seemed real enough to the children who hunted him. Yeah, there was just that one kid at the front who was just. <laughs> I, I don't want to admit I just made this all up. Yeah, no, boy, he's quite like, bullshit. He's like, you know, he's like, he's just going to like, you know, make a few of his mates go up there and then just like, you know, take the piss out of him. And then there's like just hundred kids come out, just really tilled up. He's like, fucking hell, I can't. This has gone too far now. No, de- no, definitely, definitely, there was this vampire, yeah, and it's like he's been eating well, kids and shit. It's one of those things. Isn't it? All of that in a Glaswegian accent. I'm, I'm not going to. It's one of those things where um, someone might have thought they saw something and then said it to someone in school and then Chinese whispers, then suddenly you've got a vampire situation on your hands. And it could have seen someone saw a shadow or someone who looked like a vampire, you know, some tall bloke who has looked a bit withered or whatever, I don't know. Um, Hanging around the graveyard. Yeah, it could have just been. A, it could have just been one of the UK's. Goth. Could have been one of the UK's first coughs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of the guys who found his Bauhaus or something. <laughs> so on the first day of the panic, rumours of the monster spread from school to school. Ronnie Sanderson, who was eight when he took part in the vampire hunt, said it all started in the playground. The world. What the world? The word was that there was a vampire, and everyone was going to head there after school. At three o'clock, the school empty because everyone made a beeline for it. We sat there for ages on a wall, waiting and waiting. I couldn't go in because it was a bit scary for me. <sighs> Doesn't sound like a Glaswegian to me. No Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you, sir. I think someone saw it wandering about and the cry went up. There's the vampire! Another of the young vampire hunters, Tam Smith. Tam, that's a good Scottish name. Right. Said the red lights. Yeah, sure, Tamashanta. I hope so. We Tam. 
Uh, and the red light and the smoke from the steelworks would flare up and make all the gravestones leap. You could see figures walking about all the, um, at the back, all lined in red light. The sighting of a bonfire near the cemetery even led to screams that the vampire was burning the remains of his victims. Another boy there at the time, Kenny Hughes, said the children's terror built up and built up until it basically became a mass hysteria. <laughs> you can imagine, like, edging each other on and stuff, can't you? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Especially, I mean, because imagine this graveyard does look quite gothic. and It is, yeah, it's really good. Um, Have a look at it if you... Yeah. While I'm and if you yeah getting through this, you know, still in a sort of fairly post-industrial or industrial landscape, like yeah, smoke and chimney, it would have been like yeah, kind yeah. of Victorian style. Um, despite the determination of the youngsters to hunt down their monster, there are no records of any missing or murdered children around the time of the global vampire incident. So, if no vampire was skulking around Glasgow Victorian cemeteries, we might ask where the strange myth came from. Was the Gobles vampire a modern industrial version of older legends? Were scary passages in the Bible to blame? Or was the culprit to be found in imported American popular culture? Were the fears of bloodsuckers just childish fantasies? Or was the vampire conjured from the dirt and the fumes of the poverty of the Gobles itself? I'll go with the latter. It sounds more interesting. So, forerunners of the Gobles vampire. Monsters with iron teeth. So it seems they've been kicking around for a while. There's been a... <laughs> There's been so the um, monkey man of Delhi had iron teeth potentially, didn't he? And, and claws, I thought. And claws and um, Frosty Jack, Springheel Jack. He um, potentially had. There's a lot of Frosty iron Jack. teeth and stuff going on, isn't there? Which is weird. Um, yeah, because I mean we've we've had iron since the Iron Age, so it wasn't like new technology. <laughs> no, no, but I guess people probably associated it more with that kind of. Steampunk revival that was going on. Mm. Oh, yeah, do you reckon it was just those sort of proto-hipsters? Yeah, steampunk hipsters, yeah. They yeah. had, um, like, a, a monocle, which um, looked like, I uh, don't know, uh, it had a chimney on it. And I just think it would probably like, have, be like a little telescope or something. Yeah, a little telescope, chimney on it. Um, uh, I don't know, like, um, yeah, it's, it's a, a, a brass compass on the side. Yeah, little furnace. For some reason, it's gas-powered, <laughs> steam-powered. Steam-powered. It's got... It doesn't really need any, <laughs> any propulsion engine. No. Got a little... Um, <laughs> a tiny little boiler in your top pocket that you put little logs into. Um, yeah, so it could be that. Um, goggles so, as well, presumably. I've never... Goggles on top of your head. Steam-punk people without goggles on the head. Got to have your goggles. Um yeah. Possibly a, a, like a stovepipe hat, really long top hat. I would hope so. Yeah, some kind of contraption. Stove in it. <laughs> With stove in it. <laughs> With two, two horses. Head warm. Two horses out front. Everyone knows you lose all the heat to the top of your head. That's a, we're talking mm. of urban myths. Yeah, it's, it's true. Probably. So, yeah, stove on top of your Some kind of contraption on your hand with springs on it. <laughs> for, cl- for climbing, maybe. Don't know. It makes your grip better. I'll be honest with you. I do quite like the steampunk aesthetic. I think it's quite. I think it's quite nice to look at. I'm, oh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to dress quite, that um, way. It can be quite. Uh, what do you call it? It can be quite interesting. It can be quite well done if somebody's put thought into it, or it can just be like mashing a load of old nonsense together. Yeah, which is obviously what I would do. So. Um, Myths of the of iron-toothed monsters have haunted Glasgow for some time. According to Tam Smith from earlier, parents sometimes warned their badly behaved offspring that the Iron Man, a local ogre, would get them. And so I should just add that this isn't... It's just a billionaire in a, in a seat. It's not Robbie Downey Jr., despite the fact that I believe that um, some people would say in the late 80s he was a local ogre. Another glass <laughs> behaviour. <laughs> Ogreish behaviour. Rarely for the better. <clears throat> Another yeah, Glasgow man is huh? doing well now. Good for him. He is doing well, yeah. He's quite an intense man. Um, but I imagine that being in the Hollywood system since being a child and both your parents being directors and stuff, you're probably Yeah, I think Yeah, you you're probably gonna have um a slightly different outlook on life than perhaps people with uh, less gilded upbringings. 
Yeah. It seems like it's a bit of a bubble, doesn't it? The whole Hollywood thing. Um, oh yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, he seems like a nice enough guy for all of that. Yeah, he owns a lot of animals. I know that, so that's nice. I think I saw it was a passion project, was it? It was. He was trying to tell you what we need in the year of our Lord fucking 2019 or whatever it was. He was very much Doctor Doolittle. He was brilliant. He was very much like Will Smith trying to launch the careers of all. You know, like Will Smith's done with all his children, like launched them careers in in me singing or acting. Music and film. I mean, I mean, his son is a very charismatic actor. I don't know that I've seen him in anything. Really, really did not inherit his father's charisma genes. Oh, really? Jaden Smith. Oh, good Lord. He's so wooden. Bless him. Yeah, he's not a good actor. Because, you know, you remember Will Smith in the 90s. It's yeah, like he's really he's, in the movie. He was just, just you know, charisma, he's, yeah. He's very, yeah. very likeable, yeah. And of almost like the sort of Eddie Murphy of the 90s, not to, you know, compare yeah. too much, but that, that kind of like just insane chemistry. Um, but, I can't uh, remember if he's a Scientologist or not. I think he may be, which is a... I think he dabbled because a lot of people are, but never really got into it. I mean, most of what I've heard about Will Smith actually just... Um, Seems like a great nice. him as a nice guy, yeah. 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 But um Yeah, but yeah, no, I mean the whole pushing the kids thing, but I guess fair enough. Maybe know. that's what Downey Junior Junior was doing with the Doctor Doolittle thing because he owns loads of animals on his big branch. Maybe he was maybe got them all in the film and he was hoping that they'd progress. Dunno. Get his, get his cat like a bit of work in Sabrina the Teenage Witch or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the payday and that. <laughs> Didn't you get the whole menagerie earning residuals? Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Suddenly he's like canny businessman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the title of the article? Always work with children or animals. Yeah, and uh, the thing is as well, um, animals are famously um, very bad at entertainment contract law. So, you know, you just literally feed them peanuts if they're elephants or hay, and uh, they're not going to know the difference, are they? You know, you someone like Britney Spears' dad just, you know, had kids just to make a load of money out of them, and then all of a sudden you're getting all this grief about your conservatorship, quite rightly, obviously. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, yeah, animals, nobody's going to, you know, I mean, yeah. it's not like anyone's going to be frantic about animal rights, is it? No. Nope. Not not Especially not in Hollywood, <clears throat> where they famously... Uh, electrocuted to death the monkey in any which way but loose. Really? Which is, yeah, because you know, like the, the monkey would do hand signals, you know, like mm. go, go do left Clyde and he takes. Uh, he, um, I've never like, seen those movies, but obviously I've heard yeah. lots um, They got they, How they got him to do those hand movements was by electrocuting him via his testicles and the monkey died and they had to get in another monkey just like for the last bits of the film. Um, and then they put in more laws in place surrounding animals. Well, we now have no animals were harmed during the making of this film at the end of movies, yeah? yeah. Just to assure you that we didn't get Yeah, lead. kind of, it makes Clint Eastwood go down in my estimations, the fact that he was complicit. <laughs> you know he's, he's been doing quite a bit of that over the last few decades. Because like, I, I get that he's a Republican and he's right-wing, and that's fine, but I don't have a beef with, well, I mean, well, some of them nowadays, I do have a beef with it, but... Um, but uh, yeah, no, kind of like um, I didn't know his politics. No, but well, he'd always been kind of like a bit shy about it. But you, but you figure he's hardly going to be like a huggy, kissy kind of like lefty, no. you know, about self reliance and stuff like that, which is all, all absolutely fine in my view. But um, you know, you thought he'd be more of those, one of those kind of moderate kind of like um, yeah people. But uh, no, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I think when he came out with the whole um, having a go at a chair. And what? yeah, you just look like a single. Did you not see this? No. So, a Republican National Convention, this is where he basically kind of formally came out as a Republican, I right. think. Him and Hulk Hogan. He went to the RNC and sort of came out and said, you know, a lot of people tell you Hollywood, it's all, you know, everyone's left wing, everyone's Democrat. I'm here to tell you it's not true. And then his big, big. There's me, there's me, Hulk Hogan, John Wayne, <laughs> God rest his soul, <laughs> <laughs> Stallone, Arnie. Yeah. <laughs> Guy you played Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's, play one, Herman. he's, you know, he's kind of not, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be like insane, you know. Anyway. Oh, Arnie, yeah, but no, he's Austrian. <laughs> but, pretty right wing country. One at a time, because you see his speech about Crystal Max after the um, after they invaded the um, Congress. 
that right. he managed to, to, to work Conan the Barbarian into it. But he was basically telling oh, him. Oh, yeah. So he's not, he's, he doesn't approve of that kind of behaviour. Well, I would, um, um, I would, I would uh, encourage anyone who's listening to this who wants to see how hilarious it is that Arnie's sort of a national treasure in America and who also um, is into Me Too to watch a travel documentary he did in the mid-'80s called Arnie in Brazil. And that is some awkward watching. <laughs> some <laughs> very, very, gentlemen. very squirmy, very yeah. handsy. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. I could, for, considering he was the congressman for the richest state in America. California. But anyway, so Clint Eastwood, yeah, he he bought out this empty chair and then just basically started telling it off because the chair was a Barack Obama, apparently, and how he'd let the country down. I can't remember what his accusations were, but it went he went down an absolute storm at the RNC. But he was doing he was acting at um, an imaginary person, an invisible an invisible yeah. Democrat. But it just looked like a scene of old man arguing with a chair. <laughs> <laughs> Stop really moving! <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Hello, this is Java Edge again. I hope you've enjoyed the first part of the Gorbald Vampire. We certainly didn't get too deep into the topic. But not to worry, both parts are released at the same time. I will speak to you again at the start of part two. Adieu.